Hi, and welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Monoknuku. This podcast covers conversations with experts, journalists, writers, entrepreneurs, doctors, and kick-ass humans making the most of their midlife. We talk about menopause a lot. My personal messed up menopause journey was the catalyst to this podcast, and so I hope I can help you navigate your way through midlife and menopause with more information and education than I had. Since launching the podcast, I've written a book, My Menopause Memoir, available on Amazon, an online course for menopause management to help you navigate your menopause journey, and a fitness and wellness app for the menopause woman. There are gym-based and home-based strength training sessions, short hit workouts, yoga for stress and sleep, as well as specific mobility, balance, agility, and core training sessions. You'll also receive a daily menopause management tip and be able to start a conversation with me, all in the app. You can find all of these tools at the Sexy Aging website. All the links are in the show notes, including discounts to the course, free sign up to the app, and discounts to products that I endorse. Rounding off the episodes on surgical menopause, I interview Dr. Linda Deer, a GP in New Zealand and a NAM certified menopause practitioner. As a former personal trainer, we share the values of a healthy lifestyle to support menopause symptoms, and I have a huge respect for the work that Dr. Linda is doing within Australasia to better support women in menopause. Linda's also known as the MenoDoc, and she provides us with all the facts and information that you could ask for when it comes to a hysterectomy, oophorectomy, and post-surgical care. Welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode or definitely this interview with Dr. Linda Deer, the Menno Doc. Uh, I call her Doc. Um, and we've met because, well, duh, we're obviously in the same space talking about menopause. Linda is a a specialist in this area. It's a deep passion of hers. You've got quite a few letters behind your name, Linda. So how about we start with that? Like, oh, no, hang on. One more thing. You're a scouser in New Zealand. That's awesome. If you don't know what a scouser is, then look it up or Linda could actually tell us all about it. So got a few letters behind your name. Talk to us about that. Who are you and what do you do? I have got a few letters. I think I'm just indecisive. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've studied a few things. I've studied psychology. Um, I've been to med school. Um, what do the other letters mean? I've done a diploma in women's health. I've done a um, menopause practitioner qualification. Um, what else have I done? Um, and yes, I'm from Liverpool, which is what a, what a scouser is. Um, although I don't sound as, as Liverpudlian as I used to, unless I get drunk, and then I do. <laughs> And then it all um, comes out. <laughs> it all comes flowing back. Yeah. yeah. I think my husband would really love being with you, like, because one of his best friends is also from Liverpool when he flattered back in the day. And he just, ah, oh, the crazy things that they used to talk about, just the hilarity of the way that it sounded. So, yeah, that would be cool. We, we'll notch that up for something to do in the future. Get me drunk next time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and you've been a personal trainer, so that's something that we're both really passionate about as women's fitness and health, really taking care of yourself. And you actually started, was that one of the very first things that you started when you were studying? Or Yeah, yeah so, so I did that just before medical school. Yeah. So I, I did my psychology degree, then worked in psychology, and then got really into fitness 
and did a training course to work as a personal fitness trainer and as a yoga teacher <laughs> and loved that and did yeah. it while I was at med school, yeah. mainly to pay my way through med school as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's something that helps me now, especially in perimenopause and menopause, because, you know, there's so much about lifestyle that matters. Um, so, yeah, it's a part of my life that I, I loved at the time and is still very useful to me now. Yeah. Now, and something that we both, you know, really it's one of our values isn't it is we move our bodies we protect our minds we look after our the way we feel during this stage of life but today we are talking about a um quite in-depth topic and i've got a lot of questions so it's probably going to be a lengthy episode i think we're just going to go for it get it done um throughout the last couple of weeks we have uh, i have spoken to some women who have had the experience of a surgical menopause. Um, Needless, should I just say that I found the experience of interviewing quite hard, I'm just being honest, uh, just to listen to the experience. Um, I can't say that everybody has had negative experiences. I would would just say I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to someone that has had a good experience. And, but really, I think what I wanna do now is just, I, you know, get the questions out there. People have asked questions in our Facebook community as well. So I'm going to bring those to our conversation today. We're talking about surgical menopause. It's a big topic. It's not that much known about it. I I mean, I didn't know anything until I spoke to Emily. So um, yeah, this is big, right? It is big. And as you say, it's, it's being, there's a blind spot though. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a blind spot to menopause in general, I think, you know, it's it's not doesn't get enough attention as a, as a whole. And then within menopause, there's another big blind spot, which is surgical menopause. Yeah. Uh, so what exactly is it like medically? What is surgical menopause? I think that's the first place that we should start. Right. Yeah. Because we want to know what we're actually talking about. So the strictest definition of surgical menopause is when a, a person has their ovaries, both of them surgically removed so that is the very strict definition so that means that woman has been thrown into full-on menopause immediately because that both the ovaries are gone so all the hormones they made the estrogen the progesterone and the testosterone from those glands is now gone out of her body so that is an overnight menopause now, it does get a little um, murky or, or blurred because there are other operations that are done to a woman's body that are not fitting that definition specifically, but they can upset the ovaries to such an extent that you do then go on to get some menopausal symptoms earlier than you probably would have. And I'm talking about things, even just a hysterectomy has been shown. So a hysterectomy is when we just take the womb out and you can leave the ovaries behind. Sometimes they take the ovaries as well, but lots of women just have a hysterectomy. So it's just the womb and the ovaries are still there. So from a very basic point of view, you could say, well, they're not menopausal because their ovaries are still there making the hormones. Mm. But what we think sometimes happens is the blood supply is upset when you remove the womb because all that stuff's connected. Um, and in some women, it can accelerate menopausal symptoms. And the other sort of gray area is if, if a woman has one ovary removed, which is often done as well for various reasons, and she's got one left behind, 
you know, that's kind of half a surgical menopause, really. Um, and yet it doesn't fit into any of these categories very nicely. So some women feel like they're in this no man's land between surgical and natural. Um, and they often feel quite in a blind spot as well. But strictly speaking, when a doctor says surgical menopause, what they are really often meaning is that woman's ovaries have been surgically removed, both of them, from her body. Okay, because people that I've spoken to recently have kept their ovaries and had their womb removed and gone into surgical menopause or gone into menopause. I don't know if you would call it surgical menopause because they didn't go fit into that category of having their ovaries removed, but they still experience the symptoms of menopause. Yes. And there is lots of research to sort of to support that, that you are at an increased risk of menopause coming along sooner perhaps than nature would have brought it to you and what that means really is even when a woman's just going for a hysterectomy so she's just having her womb taken out that that discussion before that surgery should probably talk to her about the possibility <laughs> of menopause and what it looks like and what treatments are available if she needed or wanted some so because a lot of these women it's not discussed, certainly not discussed before a hysterectomy that much because it isn't your classic surgical menopause. But it's like this, like I say, that no man's on that grey zone. So at the very least, we should probably be warning women of what menopause looks like in case it comes along sooner than, you, than we would automatically think. Yeah, no, I agree. I was, uh, I've, so much of what you've said, I've actually just started, the questions are starting to churn in my head. Um, for example, why would a woman have her ovaries removed? Like what warrants that? I have no idea. <laughs> Help you've me out. Have, you've got to have a good reason to take a woman's ovaries away. You'd think, you think, know? right? You, yeah, it's major. Yeah, It's a big thing to do. It's not like having your appendix out Yeah, you know, or your gallbladder. I mean, they're pretty major as well. But taking a woman's ovaries out is only done when we really think it is absolutely necessary or it, or it should only be done when we really think it's absolutely necessary. And um, so what are those things? Well, cancer is the obvious one. Yeah. No. So yeah. cancer is a big reason if we know there's cancer there or we are worried there's cancer there because some of the scans we do you know, like an MRI or a CT, if we see something that looks a bit funny on, on the ovaries, we can't always be sure exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the only way to be sure is to take the ovaries out um, because we are worried it's cancer. Um, and there are lots of times when it is cancer, you know, so cancer is a big reason to do it. But like I say, even just the threat of cancer in a way, yeah, because sometimes we take them out and we look at them and it wasn't a cancer. It was a, 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 a endometrioma is a common thing that can imitate a, a cancer on the ovary. So that's like a mass that endometriosis can cause. Um, so cancer is a reason or the fear of cancer of something being cancer or someone who's got a genetic mutation yeah. that makes them at real high risk of getting ovarian cancer one day. So BRCA gene carriers, and they're at risk of breast cancer as well because of that. But if you take the ovaries out, it's been shown you really reduce their risk actually of breast cancer uh, yeah. as well as ovarian cancer. And then there's other genetic mutations that sometimes we advise women. We say, look, 
for your own sort of health going forward, actually losing your ovaries is probably a good idea, which, you know, is still a huge thing to do. So cancer, threat of cancer, severe endometriosis just on its own can mm-hmm. create so much scarring and problems and inflammation in a woman's body that if those if those structures are left there, they are going to give us so much more pain um, and often removing them is a way to get rid of all that horrible pain that that woman is in. Um, so there's some of the sort of most co- common reasons. And then you can have cysts on the ovary that can't be removed without removing the whole ovary. Um, torsion is when ovaries can twist on, the, on their blood supply and then they, they need to be removed because the blood's not getting to them. Yeah. Uh, so there's big reasons to do it. And there should be big reasons. And these days we do not do as many um, oophorectomies, yeah. as it's called. That's the posh word for removing an ovary. We don't do as many as we used to because we now realize those little glands are very important to a woman's health, mentally and physically. So we need to be really sure there's a good reason to take them out of her body. Yeah. If your body is sensitive to estrogen then and you have that gene for cancer that's the connection between certain types of cancer for women is that correct so yes it can be those sort of hormone sensitive cancers that actually the woman's own ovaries which are kind of producing estrogen as they should can actually then make it more at risk for her to go on to get that estrogen or hormone sensitive cancer okay yeah so yeah it's it's kind of they are genetically at risk of those sorts of um, cancers and by taking their own something that was natural in them away which sounds so alien um it does improve their chances of never getting those horrible cancers actually happening in their body okay good to know that will probably help someone who's listening i think um now, on to the difference between surgical menopause and natural menopause. And I can put my hand up and say, I'm going through natural menopause. And obviously, multiple episodes before this one, I've spoken <laughs> very freely of my multiple symptoms of, a, I guess, a natural menopause, meaning that at this stage of life, my symptoms started to show up about 47. Um, they accelerated to 49. And then I was like, what the actual is this about? Um, and then I realized it was perimenopause after much deep diving. And so I know that I'm going through a natural menopause. What's the difference between, say, someone like me and someone who's had a hysterectomy, oophorectomy, is that correct? The ovary one? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, tell me about that. Like, what's the experience? And yeah, it sounds crazy. <laughs> this is when that distinction between a true surgical one and a you know, like we haven't got a word for it, have we? Partial surgical menopause, I don't know. You know, there is no word for it, but it, okay. should, it should have a word. You know, the, the, the people who've had hysterectomies or one ovary removed or damaged. Or, but if, you, if we just talk about the pure surgical one for a second, where both ovaries are gone, you know, in, in a moment, um, a big difference there is obviously in a natural menopause, you have perimenopause. Um, you have a transition. You have a... Um, of time where you go from having normally 
producing hormones to it all going a bit haywire you know and eventually it goes and it, it declines whereas surgical is you know just overnight it's gone there is no perimenopause so that's a huge sudden shock to the body um so that's a major difference and that's obviously more pronounced when it's the true full surgical menopause and um, so that's a big difference yeah um, the symptoms, you know, tend to kind of be the same, as in they're all the same possible symptoms of which there's, you know, way too many. Um, I call them unwanted gifts of menopause. <laughs> you know, there's heaps of them that you just don't want. Um, so a surgical menopause person can have all any or all of the same symptoms, but they do tend to be more severe because it is such a sudden loss of the hormones. So they tend to have more severe symptoms and obviously they come on really quickly and um, there isn't that gradual decline. Whereas in a partial surgical, I suppose you could call it hysterectomy or one ovary, you, you will tend to probably get a bit more of a, of a perimenopause, you know, a bit of a stuttering and fluctuating before it's all, you know, really low. Um, the, other, the other big difference is because in a full surgical, your, your ovaries are just gone the big hormone there that's also gone very fast is testosterone. Testosterone, yeah. I was just you thinking know? that, yeah. Yeah, so their testosterone drops by 50%, just yeah. boom, done. You know, which again is, is really sudden and a shock to the female body because testosterone is important for girls as much as it is for boys, really. You know, it's not a gender-specific hormone. It is one that floats around in, in both genders and does lots of important things. Um, so that loss of test, sudden loss of testosterone is why we think is the reason behind what can be really severe libido problems for in surgical menopause, like even more so than in a natural one. And it can be bad enough in a natural one. And testosterone matters in a natural one as well. Um, but probably even more so when you're talking about surgical menopause. Um, yeah. So the symptoms, although they can be the same, they tend to be more severe. And there are some symptoms that are often more pronounced. And that includes things like sexual dysfunction and libido symptoms, and which can be really hard to talk about and, you know, get your head around, especially if you're younger, when you go through the surgical menopause. Not that it's good at any age, you know, to, to lose your libido, but certainly I think most of us agree when you're in your prime, you know, that, that's awful, that, that side of things. Um, so that kind of lack of a gradual moment, that sudden severe loss of hormones um, is, is the big, is the, is, are the main sort of differences between, you know, a normal, a natural one and an unnatural one. Yeah, thank you, Linda. You've really explained that so beautifully. Now I feel like, okay, I fully understand what this is about and the implications. What are the risks for surgical menopause? Yeah, so it, that is another difference, you know, to point out that, yes, people are getting their heads around these days that actually, in some ways, even a natural menopause is not very good for our health, you know, but it's natural, you know, it is what nature plans for us. Um, but we all of our lots of diseases go up in risk after a woman goes through menopause. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember at med school, the, the graph of um, and, and feeling quite sort of cocky about it, that women have less heart attacks than men. You know, heart disease is kind of a men get more on the graph. They get more. And then you get to the menopause age and men and women meet. 
and you just go, oh, we've lost, we've lost our, you know, little superpower. Yeah, power's gone. Yeah. We can't be smug about it. Yeah. Anymore. So we know that estrogen is protective for hearts, and when women naturally lose that in menopause, that 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 protection's gone. And if you sort of artificially take those hormones away from a woman's body when her when she wasn't really naturally going to lose them, we think those health risks are even more, even more significant. So that is things like heart disease, osteoporosis, you know, our bones need estrogen um, all through our life, really. You know, so the, the earlier you lose the estrogen, the worse it is for bone health um, and our brains need it. So there's, there's research that has increased risks of dementia in in for surgical menopause and depression, so mental health issues, um, even Parkinson's. There's some evidence that that you know there's a there's an increased risk of that. And you know what what we also think with the research is if we if we don't replace the hormones properly, um, there is a worry that actually there is a an effect on a woman's life expectancy without her ovaries, without her hormones. So a lot of the debates in the literature, when you read it about, should we be taking ovaries out so much? You know, when should we do it and when should we not? You know, the argument against it, the argument says leave the ovaries where they are, says actually you may be reducing a risk of one disease like ovarian cancer, but you're increasing her risk of other diseases. So that balance is really hard sometimes to figure out what is the biggest risk for that woman in her particular situation. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a lot. Um, okay. So the woman that I have spoken to in the previous episodes about their experience with a hysterectomy, mm. both of them had hysterectomy, not um, removal of ovaries. Uh, there was a common theme that I listened to and it was that they were not well informed of what to expect. Mm. So my question is, what should we be telling women before they have a hysterectomy or the removal of their womb? So let's break it into two parts. The hysterectomy part first, removal of the womb. What a, what a woman need to know? Well, as well as all the stuff that we're normally quite good at telling ladies, hopefully, you know, the sort of the, the standard consent form for a hysterectomy, which I don't actually know because I'm not a surgeon. Yeah. But, you know, what are the risks of any operation having a general anaesthetic and infection and bleeding and all that stuff? But I think because in the medical field, we think about ovary removal as being the, the menopausal causing one. We don't think enough about how these other operations can increase the chances of menopause. There's not enough talk before a hysterectomy, probably, about, well, what if this might make your menopause come sooner? You know, and we don't know how to predict who it does that for and who it doesn't. But what we should be saying is it, it may bring it on sooner than nature planned. We've, we've no way of reversing it putting your womb back in and then seeing where you would have got to naturally <laughs> so it's very hard to really pinpoint and unlike with a full surgical menopause often the symptoms are not as immediate after hysterectomy the menopausal symptoms but then for some women they seem to be yeah so I think there's so much variation because we're all different yeah. you know and one woman's story will never be exactly the same as another so we have to be open to all these possibilities to say, look, for some women, it can lead to an earlier menopause. And here's what menopause looks like. 
you know you might just feel tired you might just be aching you might not be able to sleep you might not have a single hot flush you know there could be all these vague symptoms you might just be feeling very low in mood or very anxious so you we need to help these women recognize what perimenopause and menopause look like and also let them know what options for treatment are there so when they if they start to feel it they know what they know yeah yeah Yeah. and they're prepared in case it comes and they're going into that up with their eyes wide open for for hopefully all the possibilities um and then they won't feel blindsided when it if it comes along you know out of the blue yeah because it feels to me that women I think possibly are quite daunted by the idea of surgery just that part first right so it's just that part first and that having a blanket conversation whether you're having a hysterectomy or oophorectomy um just saying okay this is what menopause looks like this is what perimenopause looks like these things can happen if you're having a hysterectomy wound removal this could possibly happen for you and it might take zero days it might take 30 days but look out for it because we can help you with that this is what i'm hearing you say and then if it's an oophorectomy it's like you will go into menopause this is what will happen and this is what we're going to do about it doesn't that it just make sense <laughs> yes you know it's so important isn't it to know potentially what it what is gonna you know be coming up next for you so you do you're prepared for it. You're right, though. The surgery itself often takes, you know, all the attention. And the cancer often takes all the attention. Because don't forget, yes. often a lot of these women are also trying to get their head around having cancer and what that means. And then maybe having chemo or, what you know, all kinds of things. So there are so many difficult, hard things coming at that woman that often menopause gets sort of, even in a surgical oophorectomy, gets pushed to the bottom of the list of things we need to help this woman get her head around and support her with. Um, and sometimes even from the woman's point of view, she hears the word cancer, she hears the word menopause, which one is more frightening? You mm. know, which one gets your attention at that moment? It's going to be the, it is the cancer, you know? Menopause is not thought of as an emergency, you know? even though actually in some ways and in some cases it kind of can be, especially from a mental health point yes. of view. Um, but in that moment before the surgery, with all the information the woman is, is having to digest and process, yes, it's, 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 it's almost difficult to throw something else in there at her, I'm sure, you know, to say, oh, and by the way, let's have a good chat about how awful menopause might be, you know, but, it, we sort of have to, it's got to be all good, bad and the ugly um, to get all the information, you know, for her. But you can't give it all to a person in one yeah. go either. So this, you know, pre-surgery counselling, it, it's it's a one, two, three session thing. Yeah. And in an ideal world in surgical menopause, you would have a menopause specialist as part of the team you know, so you'd have your oncologist, you know, you'd have your surgeon, you'd have a nurse, a wonderful cancer nurse, you know, and then you, in an ideal world, would have a menopause specialist to say, right, this, let's talk about this part, um, even though it, it won't feel that relevant all, always until it hits them. And, and as, as with a natural menopause, you don't really appreciate it often 
till it starts hitting you. You know, in our 20s, we were all, you know, <laughs> menopause, what's that? Yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> we've, but we should have known about it. And we, we have to try and make it interesting to 20-year-olds somehow because, mm. you know, they need to be prepared for what their bodies are going to go through or what the woman they love is going to go through one day. Yeah, well, it's pretty damn interesting when you're a mother to a 20-year-old and there's pots are flying and there's rage and <laughs> there's a breakdown in the kitchen. That's, and you, then... that's you doing that, isn't it? Yeah, you're it's me. You're in the pots. 100%. And next minute you're talking about divorce and <laughs> then it sort of makes Not them think, this is, this is really interesting, <laughs> this stage of life. It's good. It's a real yeah. demonstration, isn't it? You yeah. Know, like, this is what might happen and... Um, you know, yeah. Nate's a funny old beast, isn't she? She really mm. is a bit yeah. mean to women, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you want to give them information, definitely. But it's got to be in the right way. Otherwise, it's just more, It might. it's overwhelming and it's frightening, you know, all the stuff they're dealing with. So to, to, to do it in the right way is important as well. Yeah, that's so, so good to hear that, Linda. Um, so... I know that we've spoken on some pretty intense sort of medical aspects of surgery and they can sound quite overwhelming, a little bit scary. Have you, this is just an off cuff question right now, but have you seen a really positive experience that someone has gone through where they've had that level of support? Um, is it just as a, like a one-off where someone's come to you and said that, you know, they were fully armed with all the knowledge, they knew that this was going to happen, now they're ready to look at the alternatives or the support that they think that they need and they already know what that could be. Have you met anybody like that? <laughs> just putting it out there. I, you know, I think they come to me because they're not getting the info and support though. So yeah. I'm probably not, I'm sure and I hope you know, there are more positive stories out there. Um, I do think those surgical menopause as a whole is is probably handled not as well as we could do. Um, so in an ideal world, you would have more people who are, uh, are saying, actually, no, I knew what was coming. I was ready for it. I knew about HRT. I knew about testosterone. I knew about vaginal estrogen. You know, I knew about this, that and the other. And I really felt empowered and ready, tooled up, you know, to do whatever I needed to, to feel better. Um, I probably hear more of the sad stories, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm probably more skewed the other way because they are looking for someone who can really spend some time with them. And time is often the, the main thing, really. Yeah. Is, you know, consults generally speaking in the public system are pretty short sharp and not very sweet sometimes but you know it's hard it's hard working in the public system on both sides of the desk um so what i see is probably more skewed towards maybe more more negative um stories from it but i, I hate to sound pessimistic but i think there is a lot of negative stories yeah there um, is for menopause yeah um but that's not to say it can't be turned around and but it means we should be motivated to do that yeah because uh, it could it could and should be probably a lot better yeah i mean what i'm hoping for is that people can now come to this podcast episode with us and know exactly what's ahead of them if they are faced with this option of hysterectomy or full partial whatever the options are they can tune in and now they know, and that makes a difference. 
because you know actually having credible resources that you can tap into the education is empowering right so we're starting something linda we're starting something yeah we got to do that all right Just a heads up that if you're not already a subscriber to the Sexy Aging community, check out the link in the show notes. The website offers a free menopause symptom tracker and hosts the Menopause Management Online course. And there's a course discount for podcast listeners in the show notes too. I've also added the link to the Sexy Aging Fitness and Wellness app for Midlife Woman. There's new workouts every day, every week, nutrition tips, menopause symptom tips, and a great community of women working out together from all over the world. There is a free trial, and we would love to see you there working on your muscle strength, metabolism, core, mobility, and health for the rest of your life. Getting on to HRT, because you've mentioned it a few times, and I want to really dive deep into this. Mm. Um, So do all women who go through surgical menopause need to take HRT? So this is probably another difference between, you know, a natural menopause versus a surgical menopause. And what I didn't say at the beginning in the definition, and I should have, is, you know, surgical menopause is when we remove the ovaries before the woman's gone through a natural menopause. Okay, you know? yeah, okay, so good, that's, say, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we're not going to cause a menopause if it's already happened sort of thing. Although, mm. you know, that postmenopausal ovary even is chugging out, so it's not completely stopped, especially testosterone we think maybe goes on a bit longer. So actually there is still some impact of removing postmenopausal ovaries probably, but the real dramatic impact is in that premenopause, as in they were not about to go through menopause naturally as far as anyone could tell. Yeah. And gone. Um, but yeah, so when we talk about um, hormone replacement therapy, HRT, which we're supposed to call menopausal uh, replacement therapy now, isn't it? Oh no, menopausal hormone. Hormone therapy, yeah. MHT. Yeah. Everybody yeah. still calls it HRT and yeah. so do I. And we're not precious because it's just easier. It rolls off your tongue. People know what you're talking about. When you start going MHT, which is kind of what you should say, then people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's hard to change a term when it's so entrenched in people's brains, you know, even yeah. if it's possibly not as fully accurate as it could be. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, yeah, HRT obviously stands for hormone replacement therapy. You are replacing hormones. Now, if you're talking about surgical menopause, you literally are replacing those hormones because that body wasn't ready to lose them yet and that body was was using them um you know a lot we call them sex hormones don't we we call them reproductive hormones yeah the the ovary makes and what a silly name really because it does not encapsulate what they do at all because they are about way more than sex and having babies you know there's not a cell in our body that doesn't respond to them and our brains So when you think of them as that sort of hormone that is giving instructions to everything, you know, losing them is a big deal. Um, So unlike in a natural menopause where I don't call a natural menopause a hormone deficiency, some doctors and menopause specialists do use that term for natural menopause. I don't like that term. I think it does make it sound like a disease. Yeah, I agree. There's lots of women who don't feel deficient and don't have problems with their menopause. Some people argue, oh, but, you know, their health risks are going up because the the hormones are gone. But, 
I don't think we should, personally, I don't think we should call it hormone deficiency. But surgical menopause, I think we can call a hormone deficiency because we've literally removed some endocrine glands, some hormonal glands from that woman's body before she'd finished with them. Um, just like if we took a thyroid out, we'd give a thyroxine. And, and in, you know, yeah. if your pancreas conks out, we, we give you insulin. So the difference there is HRT becomes even more important for that woman to know about, be told about, and also in, in the vast majority of cases, reassured about, you know, in terms of safety. Similar to in the natural menopause, you know, we have all been frightened away from mainly estrogen. When we say HRT, it's mainly the estrogen that everyone has sort of just stuck with breast cancer. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually about to say that as well, but yeah, yeah. still you know, a little bit hung up. <laughs> it's, the, you know, and it, it will be there. And the, the difference, though, between the surgical menopause and the natural menopause is the research we've got on HRT for people who've gone through surgical menopause. It doesn't have that small, non-significant um, breast cancer risk because it's not it was not statistically significant. The breast cancer risk that was okay. found with HRT, it was very small. It yeah. is there. We can't say there's no risk at all. But we put it in perspective and we realize it's a lot smaller than we were all led to believe. And the benefits of HRT weigh, you know, outweigh it. But when it's surgical menopause, we really can say to that woman, because you're at a younger age, your body really does need these hormones. And we are not concerned about breast cancer. So in, if any, you know, it's actually going to reduce risks of things. And the research says that it, there isn't any research that says there's any small increased risk of breast cancer if that woman is, is at a young age when her hormones are gone. Um, so from a safety point of view, HRT is even safer, not to say it's dangerous in a natural one, but it's kind of even safer with surgical menopause. And it's even more important because it, it will help to reduce and prevent some of those changes in that woman's body in terms of her heart and her bones and her brain that can make her you know, unwell or potentially shorten her lifespan. So it becomes even more important. That study 20 years ago, the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative, that, you know, announced to the world this, this increased breast cancer risk. They were looking at older women. Yeah, you know, over 70, postmenopausal. Most of them weren't even <laughs> having any symptoms anymore. Yeah. You know, the funny, the funny thing, one of the questions in that study, they actually tried to assess if HRT worked for symptoms. So they said to the women, has this helped your flushes and your this? And the woman, most of them said, no, because I haven't got any. Yeah. Um, but they took that answer as saying, oh, it's not effective. So that they actually concluded also that it wasn't even effective against symptoms. And it's like, well, it's not going to treat something that people haven't got anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that was looking at older women, and it should never have been extrapolated to be relevant to younger women going through surgical menopause, because that's totally different um, physiological thing. That's not the same as a older woman who's, who's gone through a natural menopause, is way past that age. You can't compare those bodies and their response to hormones. So, but it put off, that study put everybody off HRT, including people who were going through an early menopause or having a surgical menopause, because everybody just was worried about breast cancer since that study. Um, so it really did harm surgical menopause um, patients. Yeah. 
um, it harmed a lot of it. You could say it harmed a lot of women's quality of life and possibly longevity of life. But certainly for surgical menopause, it really did harm their life expectancy and their quality of life. Yeah, that's so crazy. So isn't it like the risk of breast cancer on HRT is the same as the risk of breast cancer when you're not on HRT? <laughs> Something like that. So, so the way I explain it is this, there's that study 20 years ago, we look at what they found. So they looked at women on no HRT. They looked at women on combined HRT, which means that's women with wombs who have to take estrogen and progesterone. And they also looked at women who'd had a hysterectomy and were just on estrogen HRT. Because if you've not got a womb, you don't have don't need- to take mm. progesterone. Mm. If you want to take estrogen, you can safely take estrogen alone. Um, and some people say they can be compared to a woman with a Mirena taking estrogen. So there's some data to say having a Mirena potentially is the, almost the same risk then as estrogen only HRT. So when they looked at those three groups and they looked at the breast cancer rates in them all, the, the women on no HRT still got some breast cancer. There was breast cancer in that group because not every woman who gets breast cancer ever took HRT. Most women have never taken HRT who go on to get breast cancer. Then the women in the combined group had slightly more um, cases of breast cancer, but it was so small that it wasn't statistically significant. So it was there, but it was an extra eight cases per 10,000 women, which, as you say, is lower than the risk of getting breast cancer from drinking two or more alcoholic drinks a day. And it's lower than the risk of getting it from being overweight. Mm. Um, So that was that group. And then when they looked at the people on just estrogen, they actually had less breast cancer than the people on no estrogen. Again, it wasn't statistically significant. So they didn't tell us. But they then didn't report it. Why, yeah. Why did they tell us just the bad news instead of the good news then if, it, if they were going to tell us every non-statistically significant result? So there was no significant difference in breast cancer risk between the three groups. But if you want to look really closely, you say, actually, there was a non-significant protective effect from estrogen and there was a non-significant increase in risk if you put progesterone in with the estrogen. But for some reason oestrogen came out of that study as the bad guy and progesterone came out of it as the good guy Mm. which I've always found a bit weird yeah Uh, but that's what happened 20 years ago we've come a long way now since then and decided there are more benefits to be gained from HRT than risks especially if you're talking about women who are younger and who have been plunged into a surgical menopause Okay, I want to dial back to um, the cases or the, the stage of life of women having a hysterectomy. So we covered the, um, the challenges with being premenopausal when you are not experiencing menopause symptoms or perimenopause and you have to have a hysterectomy or go into surgical menopause. But what about postmenopausal women? So just thinking mm-hmm. about this, is, is there quite high cases of postmenopausal women having hysterectomies? I don't know. Not so much. I mean, okay. but the, the, I think it's done a little bit if, if we're worried about cancer, that right. be, you know, because they can go on to get womb cancer or ovarian cancer. The rates of those cancers do go up as we get older. So that would be why we'd, we'd do a history and remove the womb or remove the ovaries after menopause has already happened. Um, whether that then, because the hormones have already gone and the woman's body may have adapted, you, you don't, I think, see the same sort of 
consequences of menopausal type consequences from that. But yes, sometimes we do take wombs out of women's bodies even after they've been through menopause, mainly because of cancer. Right. You know, the most common reason we do hysterectomies at any age is often because of very heavy, terrible periods uh, or very terrible endometriosis. But yeah. post-menopause, obviously she won't be bleeding anymore, so we wouldn't have to do it for that reason. And the endometriosis often does calm down after menopause anyway, usually. So it's not flaring up so much that we, we end up removing things to just stop all the pain that the woman's in. Okay, that's good. That, that really answers that. Thank you. Um, okay, I've got another question here from, from me, and then I'm actually going to take a question from the sexy aging Facebook community because <laughs> they're very vocal about they want they they have things they need to know but here we go first um how do you know what dose of HRT to give a woman after surgical menopause and when should she start taking it yeah so you could ask those questions to a natural menopause person as well you know about natural menopause how do you know what to give in a natural menopause and when should she start it mm. you know? So that those questions are actually relevant for any type of menopause, really. And um, when it comes to surgical menopause, obviously, you've got like a date, you've got an operation date, you know, so in terms of the when, um, I'm not a surgeon. So this would probably be a good question for a surgeon. I'll, I'll have I'll find one for you. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> I've got one. I've got one in mind. Okay. Um, but I, I know of, you know, some surgeons saying I put a patch on the night before I do the op. Um, you know, to basically get that replacement going or, you know, the, the night, the day after or the day of the op after it's happened. Because I think there was some worry between clotting risk. You know, after an operation, someone is at risk of clots because your body's been traumatized. So you go into clot mode. So that's why people can get clots after a surgery. And oral estrogen um, is associated with a small increased risk of clots but now as we have patches of estrogen that mm. have removed that clot risk I think surgeons are less concerned about an increased clot risk by starting the HRT really soon around the time of the surgery so because the patches don't have the clot risk we can be sort of more relaxed about starting HRT closer around a woman's surgery is, is what I believe anyway um, but there may still be that nervousness possibly in the surgical world and, and, and beyond to say, well, should we get over the initial, let the body get over that initial clot reaction of the surgery and then bring in, bring in something um, a bit after that time has passed. Um, but yeah, I've heard, you know, patches going on the, the night before by the surgeon and, and even, you know, straight or all straight away after in terms of dose, there is nobody really knows is the honest answer nobody really knows what is the perfect dose for that woman um, at that age um you know because of that operation because it's the same with natural menopause you know you talk to your friends or your mum or whoever, you know everyone's on something different it's you know with hrt a lot of the time and you can get a bit confused and think well why are you on that dose and why am i taking my progesterone every day and she's taking it not every day mm. you know there's all this tweaking and, and differences generally speaking we think and well we're pretty sure they need higher doses yeah than your standard kind of maybe natural menopause dose 
because their body was in its prime with the hormones. So it was it was used to high levels. It was needing high levels. So you should try and match that. Um, the other problem is people vary in how well they absorb through patches. So, uh, you know, the same dose patch on two women can be being absorbed very differently. And one absorbs it brilliant. It's all getting into the blood and she feels great. And the other one just cut the skin won't absorb it for, for various reasons. So you, you go with a higher dose patch, but you're actually getting about the same levels probably because mm. she just doesn't absorb it as well. But there isn't this nice, neat number that we've all figured out that is going to be a perfect recipe for every woman. And it's the same with a natural menopause. There's no perfect hormone level in the blood to aim for. Um, it is the woman's body tells you if it's got enough, really. So you you give something and then you step back and the body will let you know. Um, and sometimes it can take a few weeks, just like in natural menopause with HRT or a dose change. It can take a few weeks to kind of settle in. Um, but generally speaking, we think they need higher doses and probably as close to the surgery, especially if it's surgical removal of ovaries, that full surgical menopause to just get the hormones back in rather than waiting potentially for symptoms to develop. If they've just had a hysterectomy, I'd probably be more inclined to say, let's wait and see what your body's going to tell us. Um, because not everybody is going want to get menopausal symptoms because maybe the blood supply to the ovaries was not impacted at all so we don't ever want to give medications for not a good reason if you like um, and as wonderful as hrt is and as much as it imitates nature it is still a medication you know so we still want to be somewhat careful with it um and and use mm. it necessary and not use it if it's not necessary um yeah well, you've just yeah. answered the question from the Facebook community, which was with a partial hysterectomy or removal of the womb, when is the best time to start HRT? And because it feels like surgical menopause, it's, a, it's kind of almost a, a no brainer, right? You've been thrown into yeah. menopause, whereas a partial hysterectomy, it's like, well, yeah, let's just wait and see. So, yeah, that, that answers the question. Thank you. But we shouldn't wait till the woman's you know on the floor decimated or, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know as long as she's got that info to look out for the stuff then she is going to get onto it if she wants to you know it's not compulsory um if she wants to it's, it's not like the ovaries are gone so we're not really fully replacing so if yeah. she wants to then she can listen to her body and get it if she needs it sort of thing um sooner rather than later though yeah no waiting uh, how long should a woman take HRT after surgical menopause? That's a good question. Yeah, so a lot of the things that you read in the guidelines about surgical menopause say, you know, those who go through surgical menopause before the natural age should be offered HRT until the natural age of menopause or, or it says until at least the natural age of menopause. And it's that at least bit that matters and I think most guidelines now have those two words in it but there might be some that forget to put those words in and then it sounds like right you're 50 now we're cutting you off yeah. you know which is which is not true and shouldn't be true um so there shouldn't be this expiry date there 
just the same as with the natural menopause, we now say there shouldn't be an automatic expiry date, as in, oh, you've been on it 10 years, now you can't have any more. It's, it's too risky. We don't think it is. We, we think women can and should be allowed to continue on it if they're still feeling benefits or if they want the health benefits that we, we, we think is there. So, but And same with the surgical menopause. It should be there in their body until at least the time nature was going to take it away from her anyway. Um, but actually, that doesn't mean she has to stop it then. Um, just like in a natural menopause, lots of women continue for long with that. And often the symptoms of menopause can be worse, can't they? After the the um, magic cutoff of 50-51. Yeah. You know, I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's just ramping up then, isn't it? Yeah. Just like, yeah. I need it more now than I did when I was 45. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, there isn't a time limit, but the way guidelines are written, it sometimes sounds like that. And maybe in some doctors' heads, it, it comes across as that sort of a rule. And I know a lot of surgical menopause patients who've read guidelines and, and sort of panicked almost. They're like, oh, my God, so that I'm not going to get this as soon as by the time I'm 50, it's just stopped, you know, supply just gone. No, that's not how those guidelines should be written. If they, You know, some are written like that because um, it doesn't just stop. Okay, I want to segue into testosterone. So I know under HRT, we are generalizing that we we can access estrogen and progesterone, and that's quite common. It's it's still challenging for a woman to access testosterone for a normal menopause. So what about with surgical menopause? Are you offered testosterone or is that completely off the table as well? I think it's still a bit out there when it shouldn't be. Yes, it's still a little bit of a wacky sounding thing in it to sit in some sort of areas, you know, that, oh, testosterone, what are you going on about? You know, that's for men. Yeah. Um, so it's, but it's getting better. I mean, is it any better to or easier to get testosterone if you've had surgical menopause than, than if you've had natural menopause? I think at the moment, I probably have to say, I don't think it is any easier or, or better. I think there's a blind spot in both those areas and the fact there's a blind spot for it in surgical menopause is even worse really because they they have lost that hormone massively in a, in a very sudden way um so it's it's not as kind of in the front of healthcare professionals minds if you like that this is this is an important thing that they are probably going to need and you know i need to find out how to prescribe it and i need to know you know how to to twiddle with it and what blood tests are needed and what you know so there's there's definitely a need for more awareness on both sides about testosterone from the the, the, the patient should know about it and be given information on it and so should the person who's hopefully going to prescribe it um, you know, feel more comfortable with it, that it's not this wacky, weird thing that we're talking about giving women testosterone. Yeah. It's a hormone that's important for us as well. So that's another crusade, really, for us all to get onto that, you know, to normalize that hormone in women, um, especially in the surgical menopause um, area, but in the general menopause one as well, really. Yeah. Yeah. So we've spoken of HRP as a really good option to support women through surgical menopause. And of course, we know it also is a fantastic option for normal menopause. What about the contraceptive pill? What do we know about that to support symptoms post-surgery as well? So that, that is another option that should be on the table 
for women who are going through surgical menopause or any sort of early premature menopause as well, um, because it can help replace and sort of mimic the hormones that you're not making anymore. And for some women, especially if they're a bit younger, it feels less stigmatizing to be on the pill than be on HRT. You know, the image of it kind of, it feels more comfortable with them to be taking the pill like most of their peers might be taking rather than saying, oh, I'm taking HRT because it's got that kind of menopause connotation. But we should try and get away from that because there are some things about HRT that are actually better than the pill. One of them I mentioned, which is if you eat oral, if you eat estrogen, you have the small increased clot risk that way. And the contraceptive pill is obviously just oral. So you've got that problem with it. That's the small clot risk there. Um, the other problem is it, it, it's fixed doses. So you can't tweak it, tailor it, you know, mm. sort of change it. It's just a set dose of estrogen, set dose progesterone. That's that's it. Um, and they're not body identical hormones either that's in there. So they're not quite mimicking nature perfectly. Whereas the HRT, you can, you can get body identical estrogen, body identical progesterone. Um, so it mimics nature and it fits on all the receptors nice and perfect then. Yeah, I actually just want to stop and say I absolutely love how you've just explained that part there because I've mentioned to quite a few women lately that the HRT is more natural to the body than the contraceptive pill and the amount of women that go, what? Yeah. <laughs> like as soon as I say that, they're like, oh, so why wasn't I thinking that I should take HRT? It almost changes the game for them. It makes them think that it's probably time to explore it. Whether they take it or not, it's completely up to them. We know it's not a silver bullet, but it works really well for lots of women. But it's that concept that they've been taking the contraceptive pill for 25, 30 years, never thought that HRT was closer to the body's physiological hormonal makeup than the contraceptive they've been taking for decades. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it mm. is. You know, it, HRT needs a makeover. It needs an image. <laughs> it needs a PR campaign, you know, because it, it's just, totally. It, it had a terrible one, didn't it? That one yeah. 20 years ago was awful, you know? Yeah. And all the positive aspects of it just got buried um, and it just got locked away in the breast cancer box and that's where it stayed. But yeah, and, and the other thing, you know, the, the pill is potent. They're more potent than the hormones as well because it has to be strong enough to stop pregnancy and to stop ovulation. So it's, they're pretty potent. So actually the hormone levels in HRT are not as potent. Um, and there's also other things that are better about HRT. So HRT can help with migraines, whereas the pill can make them worse. HRT actually can sometimes help with blood pressure, whereas, whereas the pill can make them work, make it worse. And from a bone health point of view, we actually think, especially for surgical menopause, that we think the benefits in terms of bone are better with HRT as your replacement rather than the pill, probably because it mimics the natural estradiol hormone so well you know, again, it fits on all the receptors perfectly. So we think from a bone health point of view, we probably should be PR campaigning for HRT for women who've been through surgical menopause rather than the pill um, because of, for all those reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Linda, Linda, my friend, um, I've been 100% schooled in surgical menopause. I have no other questions. I feel like, okay, I know 
this topic now and I want to thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Now, I just want to also highlight that you are doing some absolutely phenomenal work in Australasia, in our region, to elevate the conversation around education for menopause, understanding what New Zealand women are actually experiencing, what they're telling us. You've already got over 4,000 responses to a survey, which is like phenomenal. Um, so thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing for the women of Aotearoa and Australia, I think is uh, pretty excited as well about some of the stuff that you're doing. Um, is there anything, what, what hopes do you have for the very near future um, with your purpose today? Well, it is about getting the good information out there, isn't it? And in a way that people are going to listen to it. And when I say people, I mean, obviously women, but I mean men as well. And I mean, young people, like we mentioned earlier, how do you get a 20 year old interested in menopause? You know, it's just, they think it's so boring, don't they? But it's not, it's so big and fascinating and inevitable um, that, yeah, if I can help kind of mainstream it and, and make it something that people care about as well, I suppose, because I feel like it's been unloved really. Um, so I'm just one of many people and you're doing very good things as well out there, Trace. So I, I need to say that, um, you know, we're shining a light on it and this place has been a bit dark, you know, and people have struggled on with it for, for a long time. Um, and we want to shine some light on it. And we don't want to be too negative. Um, and there's lots of positives, but we do need to be honest. Um, yeah. And, you know, about all aspects, good and bad, um, and put it into languages or a type of language and a, and a, and a style that, you know, gets it out of the boring box because it's been stuck <laughs> in the boring box, I think, too long, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a fascinating topic, especially when you're experiencing it. <laughs> and yeah, if you, I mean, you're highly motivated. <laughs> yeah, and then you just kind of go, oh, I really want for women that are coming through or approaching the stage of life to not have the fear factor, to not have the lack of knowledge, and to really tackle it with the tools that are available, to not be afraid to ask ask or to go to their GP and go yep here we go I'm in perimen perimenopause hook me up doc <laughs> you know like to not have that problem and and it's not taboo and it's not something to be afraid of or like or linked to the whole ageism conversation it just is a natural stage of life and it's been overlooked and it needs a PR agent exactly what you said <laughs> yeah we're going to make menopause sexy. <laughs> well, that's sexy aging. There we go. You know, you, you've already started that PR campaign and I'm yep. 100% behind you. Yeah, thank you. Well, look at you. <laughs> you fit the mold. Happy to share this, this platform with you, Dr. Linda. So thank you so much for your time today. It was um, incredibly enlightening. I'm so excited to put this episode out there. And uh, yeah, let's catch up soon. We will. Really good to talk to you as always. Thanks for tuning into this episode and thanks to my guest for the inspo. If you're enjoying this content, then consider following, rating and reviewing so that more people can find the sexy aging life. Peace out. <laughs>